As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello, welcome to series five of On Farm, Scotland's rural podcast. It's Monty here. And it's brilliant to have you back with us after our summer break. We start the series, and I hope it's not a sign of things to come, with a flat tyre. So my dad's headed to town, I've got to get this off for him for, so that he can get it changed. So Stornoway is the closest place for something like that? Uh, there's, a, there's a garage here as well, but they might not have the right, the right size. So that's Donald McSween, crofter, councillor and BBC Alba TV presenter from the Isle of Lewis. Donald is the subject of our first two episodes back and I'm pleased to say we're making these with the support from Scottish Rural Network. Anyway, that's it. Easy peasy. I'll chuck this round here and he can take that away with him when he comes. I'll hand over to on-farm producer Dave Howard now because Dave's been to visit Donald at his home in Lewis in the Western Isles. I'm Don McSween and I'm a crofter in Ness in the Isle of Lewis. You scared me then because <laughs> while I think it's incredibly important that we represent and support Gaelic and all the other languages of the British Isles, I don't speak any of them. So, you know, you'll have to bear with me. Yeah, well, I've learned English. I didn't have English when I went to school. So you've got no excuses. You'll need to give me a while. I'll come back in a couple of years when I've when I've learned to do it in Gaelic. I'll talk about myself then. One of my my, my specialist subjects. <laughs> so I, I uh, was born and raised in a crofting family. All my first memories are with my grandfather working, you know, working on the sheep. My father was he was a fisherman before he retired. My mother was a teacher, but they were both crofters. But we were always livestock and that's very common isn't it you people will be a crofter and yeah i mean most people most crofters have have an, a, a a main source of income so you know my grandfather was a crofter harris tweed weaver and a crofter school janitor my mother was a crofter teacher crofter college lecturer my dad was a crofter fisherman which is a very common one and then today you've got crofter solicitor crofter mp crofter Oh, whatever. TV T- celebrity? T- TV presenter, yeah. So all, all uh, crofter, oil, oil sh- offshore worker, you know. There are, there are so many different varieties. And, and I think that, that crofting fits in well with that, that, that kind of lifestyle and that, that mindset that, that is, it's, it's bringing in it's multiple, multiple uh, sources of income, which is kind of like what you need here as well. You, we're very reliant on the... On the um, the public sector for employment here but also the fact that a lot of people choose not to be full-time either because 
crofting is a lifestyle choice as well. I went away to university to do maths in 2001. I didn't like it, so I came home. I did a degree here in Stornoway. That was me. I wasn't going to go away again. I, I knew that. So my parents recognised that as well. And we had, they had two family crofts at the time, and one of them was gifted to me for my 21st. So I've been a crofter since 2005. I was a broadcast journalist for the BBC for a while, and I remember working with a cameraman one day, and I tongue-in-cheek said to him, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And he said, you do, it's your sheep, you just haven't figured it out yet. And always stuck with me, what, what he said. And after that, after I left the BBC, I went to the council here, and I worked for a European-funded project, providing opportunities for young people to stay in the Western Isles through enterprise. And that's a line I've rattled off quite a few times. And, you know, we were talking about them, it's like, you know, don't necessarily get a degree just for the sake of getting a degree follow your passion and make it work for you so that you know make money from it later and I was going around preaching this to all these kids it's like I'm not doing it myself so 2014 one day I got up and I had done no market research I didn't have a hen house or anything and I ordered 320 hens it's like right I better start I better start planning better buy a book <laughs> <laughs> i don't I, I learn by doing i don't i don't learn by reading so built a hen house got everything sorted i went from five days a week at the council to three and a half that was from 2014 and then in 2017 i went full-time so i've been full-time at it for five years the eggs were the difference because that provided me an income all year round so that meant that I wasn't reliant on seasonal sales of livestock or meat boxes or anything like that. It made it more viable. I've been doing that for a while and I've been selling you know, pigs. So I sell pork or, or wieners. I sell beef boxes. I sell lamb boxes. And I sell the eggs all year round. And then I diversified a bit and knitting yarn. I uh, made my own Harris tweed lots of different things changing the style of sheep as well if you'd said to me 10 years ago that i was going to have hebrideans and shetlands i would have said not a chance but you know they don't cost a lot and they give you meat and wool so you've got you've got that you've got a, a, a good quality product that comes off them the same with the cattle the, you know highland cows so they they kind of look after themselves as well they're they're built for this environment when we were speaking you and i to set up this chat and for me to come out here to the very north of Lewis to Ness here to speak to you. You said something that made me laugh and it really was my first, I suppose, proper introduction to what crofting really means. You said to me, do you know what a croft is? I said, well, no, not really. <laughs> and you said, a croft is a piece of land surrounded by legislation. Yes. Which made me smile. <laughs> it makes me cry. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think that's the, the, the best description for it because crofting was obviously it was set up to provide people with land that they could use to provide food for their families it's the security of tenure that crofting brought because people were living here before and then they'd be moved off the land they might just be like you know five years in this patch of land they're hauling sand and seaweed from the shore breaking their backs to improve this bit of land then the landlord can say right I'm taking over this lovely fertile ground you go over there and start all, start it all again so and you've got that and you've got you know you've got the clearances where people were forcibly removed or encouraged to 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 emigrate you lost vast numbers of people so 
when people had security of tenure, they knew that anything that they were doing to the land was for their own benefit or, or for their family. And I suppose it does make sense that they had to have a framework. They had to put legislation in place that stopped people maybe from profiteering down the line or, or from abusing the system. So there are lots of restrictions on, on what you can and can't do. You know, I, I am the tenant of my croft. I, I am not, I don't own the land, but I can pretty much do with, with, with the land what, what I want. I actually technically am an owner as well because this is a community-owned estate, but you could be the landlord here, but you couldn't do anything on my land without my permission. And if you did, say, for example, you were the landlord and you wanted to put a wind turbine up, you'd have to give me 50%. The one thing is, I've just recovered from COVID. I've done work already today and I'm knackered. So we're not going to do too much walking. Right. So jump in the pickup. Okay, that's fair enough. We'll go up here and you can and we can have a... In fact, we'll go around the back of the school. You can see, when we, when we go round, you can see every fence we've got here. Each fence is a, is a different croft. So all these crofts, that's a, that's a croft, that's a croft, that's a croft. So the crofts here, they're strip crofts, so 25 metres wide and around about a mile long. The crofts are done like that so that you get the full spectrum of fertility, basically. The closer you are to the shore, the more fertile it is, sandier soil. The further inland you come, the peatier it is and the, the less fertile. When they were divvying up the land, you could have had some people have all the fertile land in on the, in on the shore and then other people have the less fertile land inland but this was the fairest way to do it, so you, you do have that full, that full spectrum. In Ness, this, this northern tip of Lewis, I don't know, around about 800 people, and we've got everything we need. So, you know, we've got a petrol station and a shop here, we've got a butcher. Some rural communities don't have any shops. We've got the population to sustain two, three post offices. But then the real, the real stuff that, that, that provides the infrastructure for our community, is is all community owned and run and i think this is kind of where the crofting mindset affects our community a lot where there's a lot of a lot of just get up and go if you want something done you have to do it yourselves local central government you know whether that be the, the local council here or the scottish government or the or the westminster government we are far removed from them if we were relying on them to provide infrastructure and facilities for us then we'd still be waiting so our community has has done it it's not just this it's, it's not even this generation it's, it's for the last 40 50 years they've been putting facilities in place that are that are uh, you know fantastic and do you think some of that comes from being such a such an isolated rural cut-off place you just have to do these whoa, things for yourself. whoa 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 you're throwing words out there what are we cut off from what are we isolated from at least you didn't use the word remote but you, you tell me, what, what am I isolated from? No, I, I, I suppose it's good to play devil's advocate, but a lot of the people we talk to on the podcast are big cereal farmers in East Lothian mm -hmm. or, you know, cattle farmers in Aberdeenshire. It's a very different way of life, a ridiculously different way of life to what you're it, doing it is, out but, here. But you can be surrounded by people and be all alone. I'm not alone. I know 90% of the people within a two, three mile radius. 
if you compared me living here to somebody who lives in a maybe a block of flats or you know a street in, in, in Edinburgh for example I would know a higher proportion of the people around me than, than they do and you can be all alone and isolated and and all these things they are cut off they are but but I've never felt like that here yeah no certainly no argument from me on that score right? <laughs> you can tell the minute you get here it's a very strong community so where we're, where we're passing just now just on the left-hand side here. This used to be a, a secondary school. It used to be up to up to second year in the back there, and that's that's now the one primary school for the whole area. But attached onto the end is a 1.7 million pound sports centre that was fundraised for, built and run by by the community for the community. So that's a sustainable business that's that's running there. And now we're coming down to another place. You know, this is my second home, the football pitch. I've been the goalie here for 20 years. I'm the manager of the team now. Again, you know, facilities like this with a, an SFC social club beside it, community-owned and run, both these things. So that's a community-owned and run pub, basically, because it, this used to be a dry parish and you couldn't get a drink. So by having a private members club, that was the way around being able to sell alcohol. And then this the, the, the playground here. This is another community-owned run award-winning playground and you, you can you can fill in the blanks later and tell how good the, the playground is. Yeah, just to let people know, I'm on a bit of a busman's holiday. The whole family are here in Lewis and I've taken time out from the uh, family to have a chat with Donald. Now, do you, you don't go by Donald, do you? You go by you prefer Sweeney? Well, there are lots of Donalds here, so... Um, so it's practical. It's practical. The, the re- I, I go, so my surname is McSween. When I was in primary school, there was only six of us in my in my primary class, and two of us were called Donald or Dual is what we how we in Gaelic how we say it. So having two people, you know, one third of your class with the same name, it you know nicknames are, are a big thing here. In our in our uh, we've got our own local phone book as well for 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 the area, and the phone book has name, address, and nickname, because. You don't know the real name of a lot of people. You don't. You only know them by their nicknames. The patronymics are a big thing. So your patronymic would be I'm. My, my mother is from Ness. My father is from Scarpe. So my mother, my mother's patronymic in Ness is Anavorochovortik. Annie, daughter of Mordo, son of Mordik. So it's very old school stuff, but that's still used today. That kind of naming system is in play. Is that informal? naming system is probably more, more popular here than, than, than the formal one. And actually more useful, as you say. Yeah, if you came, you know, when people say, oh, do you know Donald McLeod from Ness? Well, yes, I could probably... Which, I could, which one? Which, which one? one? I could probably rattle off 10. So, yeah, it's, it's a... I wouldn't go anywhere else. I mean, I have... I, I went away to, to Glasgow. I think the default position used to be, if you're smart, you have to leave the island. And that was kind of me when I left school. It was like, well, you're you're capable. Off you go. You go to Glasgow, get a get a degree. So I went off to do maths, and I was home within six months. I was home the week before lambing and the week before the local football season started because we play summer football here. So those were the things that were important to me. And city life wasn't for me, and that that was good because I wasn't then in my mid twenties or even now in my I was going to say mid thirties, but I'm. I'm late thirties uh, now. We're all getting older, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> so in, I'm not sitting here in my late thirties thinking, oh, I wonder what it'd be like if I went and lived in the city or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Um, I wouldn't go anywhere else. So we've just gone over a cattle grid. We have left 
Ness now. We've left the... Well, no, you haven't well, left Ness. Well, left... <laughs> you're going to argue the toss about everything, aren't you? <laughs> Details are important. <laughs> We've left the town, I will say, and we're on a small single track road going up into the... Oh, my goodness, and off to the right there is a lovely beach. So this is Sto. I'm just taking you up to the lighthouse right now, the Porto Lewis Lighthouse. And you can see that red brick shed there. This is where the supplies, before there was roads, this is where the supplies were landed for the lighthouse. So the lighthouse was built, I think it was in 1862, and they used to come in here with, with all the supplies, and uh, the lighthouse keepers lived on, on, uh, on location. And has there always been a, a fairly large community here? This is the smallest this community has been in, in years. So next door to, to my, my croft is my old primary school. And it closed, closed about 10 years ago with 15 pupils. In my time, there was about 50. And about 100 years ago, there was 250 kids in that school. There were three schools in Ness. In fact, four schools in Ness. So there would have been... I don't know, the best part of a thousand kids, and today maybe 50, 60, 70 kids, something like that. So this is the smallest the population has been in a, in a long time. So this is us arriving at the, the Butter Lewis Lighthouse, the most northwesterly point of the, of the British Isles, pretty much. So I, I thought we're as well coming, if you've come all the way here, you're as well coming and, uh, and, and um, having a wee nosy around. So you're talking about... 180 miles north is the Faroe Islands, 50 miles east is the mainland, and about 2,000 miles that way is Newfoundland, Canada. And I, I know you don't like these words like isolated and remote and all the rest of it, but can I say it's special? Yeah, that's okay. That's, that's, that's acceptable. Are you on edge now? <laughs> well, we are on the edge of, of, as you say, the northwest edge of Britain. Yes, yes, you're, you're right on a cliff edge, so be very careful. <laughs> One of the things that fascinates me, again, we're not calling it remote, but is how you get inputs in and then where you sell things to afterwards. Yeah, this is, this is the difficult thing because there's added costs getting anything here and there's added costs getting anything away from here. So that stretch of water between us and the mainland basically adds, adds costs on. I think even buying a four by four bale of hay which you can't really make hay here because of our climate. It's it's wet. A lot of people make silage, but hay isn't really isn't really viable anymore. It's got it's got milder and wetter over you know over the past 40, 50 years. So hay isn't really viable. And when we buy, I buy in you know four by four round bales, and this year they were about you know I think it was 40, 46 quid to begin with. And you know, I know asking other people, they're paying maybe 20 to 25 pounds. People on the mainland are paying, paying 20 to 25 pounds for their round bales. So the haulage is a big, big uh, cost. So your feed costs are increased anyway because, because of the haulage. And then when you're selling them, you're pretty much losing five pound a head on, on store lambs. You can sell them in Stornoway. I sell in Stornoway or Dingwall. And roughly speaking, because the, the buyer is paying for the, the haulage, then your five pound a head wash off and store away. But then because I'm the seller is paying for the haulage to Dingwall, you get that extra five pounds, but you've spent that at least five pounds on, on the haulage out there. But what really frustrates me 
I do meat boxes as well, you know, in the in the autumn. I have sent a lamb meat box from here, 11 o'clock one morning, and it was in Norfolk for 9am the next day. Now, if it's possible that way, then why on earth can't people send stuff stuff to me? It, 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 you know, it's it's the same it's the same plane or, or, and vans that that, that it travels on. Right now we're in the village of Port of Ness. We're just going to do a, just going to turn on the harbour and then head back up. This place is always busy with tourists as well, so um, yeah, it's quite a nice harbour here. We'll just turn and you can have a wee look. I was trying to get a sense of that. So, how touristy does this area get in the in the, in the summer holidays? Obviously, um, we've come out of season a bit. Yeah, it's it's just getting busy just now. It's we're in we're in June just now. You know, this is a tourist who's just abandoned their vehicle in the middle of the road because they don't know if it's the end of the road or not. Um, <laughs> as, like I said, I've got lots of patience. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we're we not as bad as, like, Sky and Harris and, and places like that where they're, where they're overrun. It's because you're more remote. <laughs> so, uh, have you got walking boots on? <laughs> So there you go. We've got beaches as well. You know, it's a nice, it's a nice beach, a nice oh, harbour. Oh wow! Look at that. You know, we're here on a rubbish day. If you were just sent a snapshot of the sea and the sand, you know, turquoise seas they are and the sand, you could almost think it was the Caribbean. But then, as soon as you open the door, you know it's not. <laughs> Since you got in the water, you definitely <laughs> yeah. know it's not. Aye. So it's. I mean, it. It is. I'm also. So this is a community-owned estate. We had a community buyout here 15 years ago and we own all the land around here. It's uh, 56,000 acres and we bought it for £600,000. So I'm one of the directors of the trust. Sorry, say that again. How many acres for how many pounds? 56,000 for 600,000. Right, okay. A pretty good deal. Uh, And when you see see issues in, in other places today with green lairds coming in, you know, uh, multinationals or uh, billionaires or, you know, people from far f- remote buyers coming in and <laughs> and buying up the land and they're going to rewild it or they're going to uh, plant it full of trees and it just, it, you know, they forget that there's people, there's communities that live in these places and what, what's happening there is rural communities are being sacrificed so that you know, multinationals or, 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 you know, people who live far away can carry on as they are. We're the ones who are giving up land for, for trees, we're giving up land for peat restoration, they're doing away with, with jobs, you know, so, so, and, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's become a polarised debate, but our voices are really heard in the, in, from that side of things. The reason I'm, I'm talking about this just now is because we own this land, there's no danger that's going to happen here. It's it's with our approval that anything will happen. No no remote absentee landlord is going to sell up or or agree to to doing projects with, without our agreement. It's such a live issue at the moment, that isn't it? This green layered stuff, um, planting hectares and hectares of trees to farm the carbon credits almost. But you're saying that you're. You're safe here from that ever happening because of that community buyout 15 years ago. Yeah, we're, 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 we're safe from it. And if it does happen, we are the ones that are going to benefit, not 
you know, if we want to sell carbon credits. And carbon credits aren't the silver bullet that, that we thought they were going to be. You know, I assumed when all this carbon credit stuff was, was going to be coming coming on that I was I was like, oh we're gonna be we're gonna make a killing out of this. But having looked at it, because the vast majority of our moorland is in pretty good condition. It's not it's 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 good. It is good condition. It hasn't been drained and in quotation marks improved in the past you know drained and and uh, reseeded and you know improved like that those are the places that they got probably grant funding and and were able to improve that land in the past and now they're being paid again to revert it to how it was before so they're almost they've had the benefit of it and now they're getting benefit again because we didn't get that initial benefit we didn't you know the you're probably talking 50,000 acres of of, uh, of peatland here, roughly. You know, we didn't go and drain all of it and put it to grass and things. It's 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 in its original state here. Because we didn't do that, we're now not going to get additional benefit now of, of when we repair it and um, and sell the carbon credits to, to somebody else. So we'll just go down the track here. So you can see here all, you know, every fence. It's a, it's a different croft, and uh, you see yeah, the odd the odd few sheep there. They're my stragglers, the, the the last ones to lamb. So they've just had lambs in the past in the past three weeks or so. And access wise, there's a gate at one end, and you can just go all the way down the strip. Through, you know. Aye, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is which is great in the summer, but in the in the winter. Even with a quad, it can be difficult at times. Going, you know, if you've got a high traffic gate that you go through a lot, and it just turns into mud, and that, that's that's great. But and and then, but the opportunities we've got today, you know, in terms of tourism, you know, a couple of pods here would be great, you know, something like that. But it's it's getting access, it's services, it's it's all that kind of stuff. When you've got a a long strip croft, and you're uh, you know, you're a mile away from from services, then it's it's not viable to to be, you know, to be doing anything with you know on on these crofts. And you're much less accessible if you're the one, three strips in from the lane. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this is a tourist dog walker. He's got a camper van. I was talking to him on. I was talking to him on Saturday. Was the dog come past us? Yeah. So this road, so you can see this road here, and then so there's a, a lane that cuts through the crofts all the way along there, and that's Rathmore and Haramon, the big road of the Sermon. This is the route that people used to walk to go to church. Okay. So things like that, and then here, if you can see over to my right hand side, see how there's a dip in the middle, just here. There's like that kind of diagonal. That was the football pitch in the village. So the wingers would be two, three feet higher up off the ground, <laughs> of, of ground level than the, defend, the central defenders. So this is one of my favourite places. Just come into the beach here, I, particularly in the winter. I'll uh, come in here nine o'clock Sunday morning with the dogs and they'll just have a blast. And they'll have a blast over here. I think we'll... Uh, so we're just down on the beach and this is Trigal Del Beach and um, 
Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some golden sand, but there's a lot of stone and seaweed that comes in here as well. We'll cross over and we can, uh, we'll just leave it on the other side of the river. This is great. I'm getting the full North Lewis tour here. Exactly. You, you, I, McSweeney's I've, tours. I've, I've, done, I've done this before. I know what kind of rubbish you guys love. <laughs> We jump out. We'll jump out. I'm interested in having a wee look just to see if there's any dead birds washed up because there's lots of uh, there's lots of avian flu on the go just now. We've had. Uh, are you aware of the gooka? Uh, we're at we're a nest. We eat gannets. So does that ring any yeah, bells yeah, for yeah, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. The gannets are uh, taken from a, a rock 40 miles north, Solishkith, which is gannet rock and Gaelic. I don't know how viable it's going to be for them to go out this this autumn because uh, if the population has been decimated by, by bird flu then uh, yeah, it might not be viable at all. I've seen a couple of dead gulls actually, uh, various beaches. Yeah, that's, that's what it'll be. I'm just going to just go here and have a look. I haven't been, I haven't been here in a, in a couple of weeks. I can't see any. There's lots of seaweed being washed up and yeah. If I had a big tractor, I would come and take away all the seaweed. And feed it the cows? Well, yeah, that, that's, that, that's, a, that's definitely an option, but uh, cut down the methane in their farts. But uh, um, I think more, more along using it as a fertiliser. How has being more sort of aware of climate change impacted the way that you do things on the croft? Um... It's fine saying to people, how have the impacts of climate change affect how you heat your home? It, it, you know, you can say, oh, it'd be good to do this for going green, it'd be good to do this, do that. doesn't make any difference. It's what makes your business viable, what makes your home viable. That is what counts. You, you, you can, everything else is just talk. Oh, there's a fish jumping. You're not very observant, are you? <laughs> I'm looking at you. <laughs> looking at you, looking at my microphone, making sure the levels are recording. <laughs> uh, you, you, you get blasé about it all. Seeing eagles, seeing the northern lights, sitting at the beach at three o'clock on a Monday afternoon. I'm at work just now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I'm the one doing all the work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this place is spectacular on the very best and the very worst days. You know, when you've got 100 mile an hour winds and the waves are breaking higher than the lighthouse. And At least you know you're alive. Yes. When I was out here on Friday, there was 14 deer and two sea eagles. So they all appeared. I shouted the cows and the deer and the eagles popped up at the same time. Wow. Yeah, it, but it, happen, it happens quite a lot. You, know, you, you get blasé about it. I see the northern lights once a month. I see eagles twice a week. It's part and partial of, of, of life. That was absolutely brilliant. Great to get the perspective of Lewis Crofter Donald McSween, or Sweeney. He was speaking with on-farm producer Dave Howard. And I'm pleased to say that we've got the second half of their chat for you next Monday. This episode of On Farm 
was made with support from the Scottish Rural Network, and many thanks to them for their support. And speaking of supporters and partners for On Farm, I'm very pleased to tell you, in fact I'm delighted to tell you, that we are just starting a new 12-month sponsorship partnership with law firm Gillespie McAndrew. They are the firm that provide NFU Scotland's legal helpline, so they are very much in touch with rural Scotland and rural Scottish business. We are delighted, and if anyone else wants to come on board and support us, they would be most welcome too. But what a brilliant partner to have on board in Gillespie McAndrew. As you know by now, On Farm is Scotland's rural podcast, with farm meaning food, agriculture and rural matters. And this pod is made by our team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. Please do get in touch with us anytime with any rural or food-based marketing or comms questions. That's it for this episode. See you next time with more from Sweeney on the Isle of Lewis. So this is us going out to Peat Road, the, the road to the common grazing. So either side of the road right now are our common grazing um, village parks. We're now, we've just come over the cattle grid and this is us on the open moor. So there's nothing between us here and Stornoway on the other side of the island. Wow. This is probably the kind of roads you thought you were coming to. (laughs) (laughs) This is a peat road, so this is just, well, how how do you describe it? It, It's basically just- Bumpy. But very bumpy, carved out out of the peat. It's for taking the peats home or accessing the peats. That's it from me. Bye for now.